Okay, it's been a while, but I'm back. Welcome to a new season of the Dirtback Diaries. This summer, I've been out gathering stories, and in the coming months, we're going to be headed near and far to places like Namibia, and also a little closer to home, like the outskirts of Seattle. We'll explore the roots of conservation and the wonder that is Facebook. Frankly, I'm stoked. But, out of all the stories I've gathered this summer, there was one. One that I've struggled with, because... There just isn't an easy way or a convenient time to tell a story like today's. From the instant I opened his email, I wanted to help today's contributor, Evan Pichet, tell his tale. Stories like this, this is why I started the Dirtbag Diaries. I think I died this time. Stop for bullet holes and stab wounds in my side. Today, I'm not going to start the show with an elaborate ad, but I am going to say this. The Dirtbag Diaries, we wouldn't exist without companies like Patagonia and New Belgium. They believe in you. They believe in the stories we share, the stories that make us a community. Patagonia and New Belgium believe that someone like Evan Pichet has something important to say, and that's because he does. Even in the worst moments, there are seeds of growth. I'm Fitzko Hall, and you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. My car strains and sputters in the rarefied air, the engine groaning as we drive up Flagstaff Mountain. At each hairpin turn, my bald tires launch a spray of gravel and salt. Pebbles tumble down the cliff and I follow them with my eyes. For a climber, I'm not in love with heights. The muscles in my back and shoulders arch into a hunch. I'm on edge. It's not my mom's driving or the bald tires, the squealing brakes, or the check engine light, or the front-end alignment, or even the sheer drop from the tires. It's been a shitty couple of days, and I haven't been sleeping well. In the trunk, there are crash pads, day packs, beer, water, tequila, and a few pieces of ski gear that, in my haste to pack, I neglected to stone the garage. There's also the psychological baggage coming along for the ride. Mom and I are silent. For the moment, we have nothing to say. Nothing words could say anyway. Even if we did, the screeching of fan belts and the scrape of gravel on rubber would drown it out. We reached the pull-off for some unnamed boulder problem. I opened my creaky, rusty door... Inhale deeply and savor the sweet, sweet mountain air. Dust particles coat my teeth. The flowers aren't in bloom yet, but the pines perfume the air. Holding my breath for a moment longer than usual, I reflect upon the past three days. The shittiest 72 hours of my life. I slide the crash pad into position. Leaving the ground behind, my pulse quickens and my breath becomes deep 
and controlled. I can picture everything that's been weighing me down, expelled with every exhale, a black plume of noxious smoke. The weight I'd been carrying is left on the ground. The wind rustles through the pines. Above my head, a golden eagle catches a thermal. I've found temporary peace. Three days earlier, my body went limp. I collapsed to the floor. The air, it seemed, had been sucked out of my lungs. Hell, there was no air in all of Colorado. Over and over in my head, I heard the words, Evan, Dad is gone. Dad shook his life. I remember mentally tracing the weave of the imitation Persian rug I was lying on. It's funny where your mind will go when it doesn't want to be there. Such an intricate pattern. Cheap piece of crap. Who bought this? My father slit both wrists and hung himself from the rafters of his warehouse. He was the loving, slightly goofy, uber-fit triathlete dad. The man who taught me to love the outdoors. He taught me how to change a bike tire and piss in the middle of a crowded beach. How to sharpen the edge on a ski to hold New England ice. And how to open a beer bottle with my teeth. His business was a failure. He was certainly no businessman. I always figured he'd land on his feet, though, somehow. It just couldn't end like this. No, he'd just continue to downsize his lifestyle. House to condo, condo to apartment, and apartment to trailer, right? King of the trailer park. That's what we'd always joke. He couldn't do this to his mother, to my mother, to his sister, to me. So dramatic when you call. So dramatic on Nothing registered. Words lost their meaning. Dad took his life. I heard the words. I could visualize the sentence in my mind. See the letters that form the words, but the words had lost all meaning. The air returned to my lungs slowly. All I could say was that I wanted, no, I needed to climb. Eight weeks before my college graduation, I had been dropped into the eye of a hurricane. All around me a storm raged, thunder and lightning crashed, winds ripped my world to shreds, rain drowned out all signs of life, and thick bands of black clouds blocked the sun. I felt nothing, though. When I should have been bawling my eyes out, I just felt an eerie calm. I looked at my world being turned upside down right in front of me. I was struck only by the peculiar stillness that surrounded me. There was perfect quiet, a vacuum. The most profound advice ever given to me was that there is only one thing in your control, and that's how you choose to react. I've tried to live by this. Now I had no control over my reactions. 
At times, I believed myself more self-actualized than the Buddha, and a hell of a lot more preachy. Then, at other times, I had urges to throw rocks, big, heavy pieces of limestone off a cliff near my backyard. I watched with sadistic satisfaction as they crashed into the water below. Now I'm a vegetarian and animal lover, but in these moments I could only hope I killed a fish, a deer, at least a snake. At times, and it pains me to confront this, I felt a strange liberation, bordering on elation. I knew Dad was free from his own personal hell, a hell he boldly and foolishly hid from everyone. Why? Why did my dad do this? Do this to me? To himself, to mom, to his mother. Of course, this question cannot be answered, at least not by someone with a rational and sound mind. I will never know what he was thinking. Or, if I do one day understand his contrived logic, that it better be the day I check my ass into a psychiatric clinic. The fog thickened. It only broke when I was climbing or mountain biking. I was anxious for school to resume after spring break. With no classes, I had ample time to twist and contort my brain. But I couldn't, as hard as I tried, wrap my mind around this. Back in class, I found it difficult, often impossible, to focus. Like soap bubbles, the words drifted and swirled around me. Then, one would hit my forehead and burst. The feeling was oddly similar to how my father once described Jerry Garcia's guitar playing. Everything reminded me of the old man. The hardest part was breaking the news to my family and friends. It was exhausting, tiresome, and each time my words felt staler, canned. I began to feel phony, like I was reciting lines from a made-for-TV movie script. But the audience was always stunned. Some people shook their heads and sighed, like they knew it was only a matter of time. Some people screamed out loud, anger bubbling over. My closest friends knew I needed to be snapped out of my funk, or at least temporarily distracted from reality. For everyone who put up with my bitching and dragged my ass to a movie, or a crag, or even the park for a slacklining session, I thank you. Most people's natural reaction when dealing with someone who's been through a life-altering traumatic experience is to reach for the kid gloves, to coddle you and protect you from harm. I quickly grew tired of this handle-with-care attitude. I didn't need sympathy. I loathed the sympathy. For every 50 people who coddled and tried to soften the blow, one person would turn his back and run. 
Some people simply cannot get over the stigma of mental illness. It was as if my father's disease was some bleak reflection on me, as if now I was damaged and untouchable, like mental illness was some communicable disease passed through bloodlines and friendship. I struggle with how to forgive those people. The best I can do is to say just let it go. That's another thing Dad taught me. Never hold a grudge. Fingertips shot, my bouldering session ends. The sun sinks low in the sky behind boulder. I gather my gear as my mom snaps a few photos of the flat irons cast in a golden light. We momentarily forget the circumstances that brought us to Flagstaff, perfectly happy in our momentary escape. But as we make our way back to Boulder, it becomes painfully clear that our peace was a brief interlude. I look at my mom, handprints in chalk on her shirt, red dirt in her hair. I close my eyes and try to go back to the place we were only moments ago. Squealing brakes cut through the serenity. The afternoon was a pleasant diversion, and while I'd been grasping for an epiphany, it eluded me. The question of what to do next still loomed. My mom was holding a plane ticket from Massachusetts. She left the next morning. Should I go back home with her, or stay out in Colorado, jousting windmills with my stick clip? Hey, watch the corners, Mom. Chill. I've only got one parent left. Do you think you could drive a bit slower? Yeah, and only one kidney donor, too, she referenced a running joke. The tension of the past three days broke. It was the first time either of us had laughed. We looked at each other and smiled. It was okay. We could have a normal conversation again. I felt liberated. The weeks would pass. Buds would sprout on familiar tree branches and leaves would burst forth. Snow would melt from the high peaks of the front range. Rivers rise to scour their banks. Flowers would bloom in the longer daylight hours. I would change. My friends would change. All people change. But I knew then that the rock would remain constant. Climbing was more than a sport. It was my time to meditate, to make sense of life. A time to fit everything together. You don't have the luxury to stew in your feelings, to replay the grim scenes from your past, to ponder the what-ifs that never were. The universe is distilled to just the essentials, you and the next hold. Mom, eyes on the road. You need to get your front end aligned and new brakes. And I want you to get this car fixed before we go to Moab for your graduation and clean it too. It's filthy. Nagged, but liberated. And like that, life went on. I realized I could spend the next year searching for painful answers that I might never find. Or I could accept the hard truth. That I would never understand why my father took his life. Vacation plans, my mom nagging me about my filthy car, jokes about my mom's driving. This would eventually return us to normalcy. And I would stay in Colorado. Climbing, not because I needed answers, but because some questions, try as hard as I may, can never be answered.
Evan Bichet finished up school this spring at Colorado State University with a business degree. He's roaming around the West, figuring out what he wants to do, but he still calls Colorado home. Music today by We Were Promised Jetpacks, Zaza, Choir of Young Believers, and Peter Broderick. You can stream the cuts and find links to purchase the tracks on our site, dirtbagdiaries.com. If you've got questions, comments, story suggestions, you can email me at dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Patagonia's new fall line is out. The days are getting crisper. The perfect days of Rocktober are almost here. Check it out on patagonia.com. Additional support for the diaries comes from New Belgium Brewing. Follow your folly over to newbelgium.com. I'm Fitz Cahal. That was Evan Pichet. And you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.